the pride of French intelligence returns. We are the Spy-Fi Guys, and this is OSS 117, Lost in Rio. Welcome to the Spy-Fi Guys, where we cover spy facts, spy fiction, and everything in between. I'm Christian. And I'm Zach. And welcome back to our swinging 60s spy summer. All this summer, we'll be breaking with our usual formula to cover exclusively fictional spy movies and TV shows made or set during the golden age of spy cinema, the 1960s. So grab your go-go boots and put on your ascot. It's time to get groovy. And today we have more guest stars for your enjoyment. Yes, we've got our, what I like to call our cousins from the Commonwealth. We've got Scott and Cam from Spy Hearts. Hey, thanks for having us. Hello there. Thanks for having us aboard. And today we're covering OSS 117, or is it 117? 117. He always corrects them when they call him in French. Hold on. First of all, either you speak French? No, I should, but I don't. (laughs) My wife speaks French um, pretty conversationally, so she was picking up on some of the in-jokes in there, so she told me some of them. This whole movie is in French and it's subtitled, except for when the scummy American guy talks sometimes. Right. That's right. And something I wanted to say before we watch this movie is I was going to say it's super not family friendly. But then I thought about no, but then I thought about it. And I was like, there's a little bit of blood, but there's not a lot of swearing and there's just a lot of nudity. So let me update my statement and saying if you're an update American like us, it's not family friendly. But if you're French, I bet it's great for everybody of any age. And we just lost our French audience. <laughs> Whatever, they, they know I'm accurate. I've seen a bunch of French movies, and by a bunch, I mean like four, and every right. one of them has boobs in it. I think this must be a law there, that every movie has to have them. Even when they, when they made National Lampoon's European Vacation, they worked those in. Like, as soon as anything That's goes European, true. they're like, green light, green light, green light. Uh, wasn't that the whole hook of Eurotrip? Was Pretty just, much. Oh, I forgot about Eurotrip. There's a blast from the past. Yeah, that's Scott's favorite movie. <laughs> <laughs> All right, because you don't know. <laughs> um, there you go. Uh, there we go. Sorry. Yeah, I'm sure you've heard come. it tons of time when that movie came out. So the hook of this movie is that it's made in 2009, but it's designed to look like it was made in the 60s. Mm-hmm. And I think it really succeeds in that. Oh, yeah. Actually, my wife... Cool. When we were watching this, she was like, this is in 1967? They seem pretty self-aware about how, you know, sexist and racist they are. I was like, oh, no, no, it was made in 2009. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of the style, I loved all the split-screen stuff. It definitely gave me those feels of sort mm-hmm. of like the, uh, you know, Thomas Crown Affair, for mm-hmm. example, from mm-hmm. the 60s with Steve McQueen, which is a fantastic movie as well. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And I also love, like, the, the two other things that really, really added to the uh, the 60s feel was... They did that thing where they film it during the day, but to make it at night, they do the blue shading. And then in the yeah. rear projection, when you're in a car, which right. was like classic. Yeah, it's definitely a love letter for the 60s and 60s spy films. And I would say a love letter with warts and all. Yes, yes, very <laughs> much so. Yeah. Yeah, I really noticed the rear projection once you called my attention to it. <laughs> and what was it, Dr. No, that you pointed oh, yes. out? That one is particularly egregious. Especially since he's in Convertible. Yeah, in Casino Royale original. I think they do it a lot, too. 
there's that great moment in Doctor Now, which just became a meme, where it's just like Sean Connery turning the wheel frantically left and right while it's just like a straight road. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. As his hair's all getting disheveled, yes. <laughs> I remember when I was a kid, I was confused. I was like, do cars back then just have really low like sensitivity? And like we have I to mean, turn the wheel a lot? yes, because they didn't have power steering, but it was not to that mm-hmm. extreme. Yeah, they'd like haul on it like a, like a rope on a sail on a ship. Okay, let's get started, I think. So here is the IMDb summary. Another mission of world-known French secret agent leads him to exotic Brazil. That's it? That's it. That's all it says. (laughs) All right. Uh, I mean, that works. Although most of this takes place in Brazil, we start in Gestad in 1967. And there's a swinging party, lots of Chinese, only Chinese women at this party besides our main character, OSS 117, or I'm going to attempt this, Saint Decept, which is it in French. First of all, let's just say French counting is weird because it's actually this is the only one of the after like I think it's 40 or 50, the counting becomes really weird. Um, mm-hmm. But actually, this is one of the few ones where it's like, all right, this one actually kind of makes sense. It's like it's just 1107. <laughs> but if you get into like this, like if you said 95, it's like four times 20 plus 15. <laughs> Okay, it's I weird. failed out of French in grade 10, so this is well beyond my weight class. Yeah, this is just what I got, like the information I got from my wife. Um, but yeah, so we start this party, and we have our main character, uh, Hubert de la Bath, although we never, like, barely do we hear him by his last name. It's always Hubert or his code name later on. Mm-hmm. So he's off, he's doing magic tricks, he's doing the classic floating ball behind, you know, the handkerchief. And in burst a couple of uh, Chinese assassins, and they say, Mr. Lee says hello. They say, Mr. Lee says hello and goodbye. And then they like <laughs> laugh really hard. I love that. That's a great part. I like henchmen who are really into their work and like, like mm-hmm. to have fun. Yeah. We find out that apparently Mr. Lee is, what was it, the husband of one of the women? Was that it? I, I don't I really remember much because that sounds <laughs> yeah. that's like a, it's a very bond thing that happens. Uh, I just assumed as much, but there's a huge gunfight. I like that Hubert's doing the classic Connery of like firing right from the hip, not even aiming. Mm-hmm. Everything to do with the gun massacre was amazing. You know, oh, we see so yeah. many movies where it's like Bond shooting back and forth with people, the collateral damage scatter, but in this case, it's just like everyone goes down for the count. It's pretty funny. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> So the bit where it pans back and you just sort of see the dead bodies laying everywhere and it's mm-hmm. the comedy hits and he does not give a monkey. So there's all these dead no. women laying around him. He's too busy necking the girl next to him. But uh, uh. <laughs> it takes you back to the 60s, man. Uh, yeah, I feel like this is the only part with blood in it, too. Or at least it's the only part it's with blood that I can parts. remember. But yeah, not human a lot. blood. This is this is the big one. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, human blood. That's yeah. true. And then there's some casual Chinese racism. Right. Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> casual. <laughs> Which uh, get used to that. Yeah, I mean, casual from his sense, not from our yeah. perspective, but from his. Right. Yeah, they start making out, and then we see. I, I really like this. Pans up from the window because in the sixties you really couldn't have explicit sex scenes. So instead, right. you just have these two birds that land on the windowsill, and then the birds start going at it. <laughs> that was pretty good. The thing was when those birds landed. I knew that moment was coming, but I was like pleased when it happened and it delivered. I thought it was pretty funny. Yeah, I appreciated that this rewarded a informed audience that knows about censorship laws in the 60s and understand what's going on. 
Well, they used to always say about Bond films that the sex, you know, happened when the camera turned off, basically. Like, mm-hmm. and they were playing with that here. Right? They did in the first film as well, actually, where they had the camera, you know, pan back to them on the bed and then whip away. Here, this was another comedic way to basically infer that this was happening. The birds, perfect, perfect. <laughs> yeah. Now, actually, I, um, just to go back just a little, have you guys seen this before? Yes. No. No. Okay. I and mean, what about you, Scott? Nope, okay. this is my first time watching it. Okay, interesting. But Cam, you said you'd seen the first one. I watched the first one like three days ago in prep for oh, watching okay. the sequel. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. I so think... you watched both? Interesting. Okay. Scott did too. Yeah. Nice, nice. So having seen it already, mm-hmm. I remembered it differently than what actually happened. I seem to remember him being like, I love France. France is the greatest country ever. France is amazing. All other countries are terrible. But mm-hmm. it, it didn't really actually act like that. In the I mean, there's movie. a bit of that, but not all the time. I would say from a one to a typical American, he's probably more like a three. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the Americans, and we can say this because we're the Americans on this right mm-hmm. now. Yeah, no, America, your average American is going to be even just at the seven by default. So, yeah, fair enough. Well, I had this whole rant in mind that I was like, if you're going to be like super, like my country's amazing and my yeah. country's the greatest... Why would you be from France? Like, I mean, like, wow. look, not, not to like go after France too hard, but they, right. this is only in the 60s. They surrendered in World War II only 20 years earlier. And before that, they have a legacy of like colonialism, conquering Europe. So like, what's there to brag about? I mean, not to be serious for a second, but to be okay. fair, they had just recovered from World War II. They got mm-hmm. their independence back and they were trying to get their identity back after it had been sort of pillaged by the Nazis. In terms of the 50s and 60s, uh, France went through quite its sort of a, a second renaissance in a way. Uh, so it's like overcompensation a little bit? A little bit, yeah. yeah. There was a lot of stuff about like De Gaulle's France and this is mm-hmm. France under De Gaulle, mm-hmm. which I didn't really have the background to understand. So yeah, maybe here. that's in Spy Fact First Fiction later. <laughs> Stay tuned. I will say I did appreciate that because this is a French film, everyone, for the most part, is speaking in French just as if it was an American or British film, no matter where they go, everyone would be speaking English. So I like the reversal on that. Yeah, I like that too. I also noticed that. All right, so we move on into our story. And we go to the Department of External Archives and Counter Intel, which is where Hubert works. There's a bit where he's talking to all his other coworkers and they're just, I think the joke is just that they're naming all these people and we'll never see any of them. Yeah, I didn't understand what the joke was supposed to be here. They just keep throwing out these names. I didn't get it. All very stereotypically French names. There's also a bit where one of his colleagues is working on plans for a duck-shaped pedal boat, which may or may not come back later. Right. Yes, that was a good setup. Yeah, they, it pays off later. I just thought they were sort of leaning on the Ipquis file a little bit with that, with the sort of hmm. monotony of paperwork and working in an office and the sort of reality of being a spy, but... I, I didn't get the jokes or the name stuff, though, to be fair. Yeah. That can um, often happen with foreign films is that the humor doesn't translate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was very pleased that a lot of the humor did translate, even though I, I don't speak French. But actually, it's been interesting because like, there's some translations and some jokes where my wife would say, like, oh, wait, I want to hear what they're actually saying because that's not a phrase in French. So I'm wondering what they said instead. It was hard for her to like read that and then hear something else. Yeah. Not to throw us off track for a second, but yeah. when, when I was watching the first film and my subtitles didn't work. Oh. 
Ooh. And I do speak a little bit oh of French, God. so okay. I, I was I was actually like kind of understanding what was going on. Huh. But like I thought I thought maybe the joke was they didn't give you subtitles for a little <laughs> bit. You had to kind of like that was the joke. <laughs> and then I was like, it's, it's ten minutes in now. It hasn't come on. What's going on? So I had to find a different copy in the end. It turns out oh, there were wow. subtitles the whole way through. So, That's yeah. hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I like that a lot. Mm-hmm. Like the first one to me felt like their Doctor No take, even though it was the fifties. This felt like their mm. like Honor Majesties. This felt like the George Lazenby film. Ah, uh, and I will have something to say about that a bit later in terms of the fashion. Yeah, of course. So we find out that he's got a new mission. Uh, he's going to go after Professor von Zimmel, who is a Nazi scientist. He's blackmailing France because they've got a lit microfilm with a list of French collaborators. So his mission is not to steal them back, but actually just to go to Rio and buy a list for five thousand francs or fifty thousand francs. Mm-hmm. And his cover is as a reporter, Noel Flantier. Yes, the reporter who's writing a story on Brazil. <laughs> Very broad topic. So he flies to Rio, and I like this. There are people watching him at the airport. There's the two guys watching him. There's a woman in a trench coat that probably has a built-in bra into it because her like cleavage is up to her neck mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and an American in a suit. I had a question about the main character's alter ego name. Did that mean something mm-hmm. that I missed? Like, cause he kind of complains about the, the, the code name. And I'm like, does this mean something to a French audience that I am completely missing? Don't know. Nothing yeah. from what my wife would tell me, but I mean, she only speaks French, and she lived in France for a year, but she's not actually French, so she doesn't always have all of the historical context behind it. Sure. So maybe, but I'm not really sure. Hmm. It definitely seemed like he didn't like the name, though. <laughs> the only thing I can think of is that Noel means Christmas, and so maybe this is like a Christmas Jones joke. Yeah, I, I'm not maybe. sure. It, it it did jump out, though, just like... Having a character really complain about it, I'm like, well, this must mean something. Like, is there a rhyming scheme here that I'm missing because of the language? I don't know. Huber takes a taxi to his hotel, and he's talking to the driver. I'm pretty sure the only word in Portuguese that he knows is obrigado. Because <laughs> <laughs> he says it like three times. It means thank you. Oh, okay. And to be fair, that's the only word that I know, but I'm not an international super spy that mm-hmm. I can say. So the taxi driver takes him the wrong way, pulls a gun on him, says that Hubert killed his brother in Gestad. There's a, they make fun of the Chinese French accent. Oh, so which, relevant to us, yeah. Uh, but, but didn't they do this in yeah. Doctor No? By the way, the evil taxi it, it, driver. It, it was very much, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> yeah the escort driver, yeah, who's taking him there. That's pretty much ripped completely out of Doctor No, yeah. And did you also notice yeah. this assassin was left-handed? Killed his guy in his left hand. I did not notice that. Good it's because he's evil. No. <laughs> as he's got him at gunpoint hubert is saved by an american agent bill tremendous bill tremendous oh uh, what a name that's amazing i did not remember that at all uh-huh. previous yeah. viewing. i love how stereotypically american he was he's like all right this is a french person's impression of, a, of an american and yeah all right i can see it i definitely can see it he just needed a cheeseburger or something like that in his hands <laughs> it was it was almost there oh uh, yes he was pretty amazing. I like the idea of taking a Felix Leiter character mm-hmm. and somehow making him even more cartoonish than Jack Wade. <laughs> oh, yeah. I thought you were going to say Jack Lord for a second. I was like, you take that back. Oh, but no, no, Jack no, Wade, no. I can see. <laughs> yeah. I, I just liked all the swearing. It's like, I can tell what I'm being made fun of. <laughs> this is it. Yeah. 
Bill swears a lot and he insults him in English and then laughs. It's unclear what level of English that Hubert speaks. Because at times it just seems like he's just laughing because Bill's laughing. Other times it seems like he understands them. Not sure. Mm -hmm. I didn't get the sense he understood him very well. Bill drops Hubert back at the hotel. Hubert checks out the pool and there's all these women watching him. And he's going up to the diving board to go for a big dive. And as he does, he has a flashback to his youth, maybe? Some time ago, when he was apparently a part of a trapeze act. He has notably more hair in the flashback. It's true. So he's younger. Yeah, but he looks exactly the same. This was giving me flashbacks to the Robin origin story here. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, he's like the Grayson. Yes. Yeah. yeah, he's like the flying Grayson family there. <laughs> He drops his partner and it gives him PTSD. And as he's thinking about this, he walks away from the diving board and all the women who are like watching him all like do a sigh of, you know, of regret and stop paying attention to him. Story of my life. <laughs> <laughs> I've taken you to bars before, Cam, and I can confirm yeah. that is the story of his life. <laughs> they do the sigh when I first walk in. <laughs> so this scene also establishes that he's afraid of heights, which of mm -hmm. course shows up a lot later. To be fair, as someone who also suffers from mild, not, not mild, but a significant fear of heights, I was like, oh, all right, so I could be a super spy and still be afraid of heights. That's kind of cool. Was any of this in the first film? No. Or was it first? <laughs> yeah, this, this was sort of like the uh, Marty McFly chicken thing showing yeah. up in Back to the Future Yeah. They are different flashbacks in the first film, but no, this of whole course. thing doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah. Heights thing is not a factor in the part. Because I was trying to remember, was there a scene of him like, braving heights in the first film? And I couldn't remember anything off the top of my mind. <laughs> he takes a nap next to the pool on one of the pool chairs. And there's a woman who wakes him up by wringing her hair out, like, right on top of him. <laughs> That's how I met Scott. <laughs> Seeing for both of you now, I'm assuming it was you were wringing your hair out on Scott. Because I don't know that wringing out your beard would work necessarily, Scott. There was a time ago when I had quite long hair, actually. <laughs> Oh, really? It was like flowing <laughs> locks like Fabio. Oh, oh wow. It was, it was glorious. The, the things that lockdown have done to us. Uh, mm. See, I think I have the opposite problem because I went from basically MI1 hair to about MI2 hair now. Mm -hmm. And they go up to his room and are, you know, making out. He's in this very powder blue, short, white, blue robe. Gave me flashbacks to like the Goldfinger uh, rom romper suit that uh, Connery had. <laughs> Yep. Go through the Bond movies and look for every like usage of powder blue. They're throughout the entire There's franchise. so many. Yeah. It's a good color on Connery, I will say. And on oh, Daniel yeah. Craig. The rest, I don't know how much Moore necessarily pulls it off. When Moore's wearing it, it's like active wear. <laughs> That's true. I think it's also the styling of it. Uh, the girl whose name is... What was Carlotta. it? Carlotta. Carlotta, thank you. Which made me think of Phantom of the Opera. Oh yeah, big time. Carlotta says, oh, I'm going to go change to something more comfortable, goes in the bathroom, starts a bath, and then leaves out the window, which very confuses Hubert. And the audience. Yeah. <laughs> and she yep. disappears for quite a while. Phone rings and at first tries to address him as uh, De La Baf and is like, no, this is Flantier. The no Flantier made me laugh out loud because it's like <laughs> the line reading is a little bit more like, this will bath, no Flantier, slam. Like he immediately <laughs> laid hands off. 
I thought that was actually a really good joke because <laughs> it's the sort of thing that I think would slide by some people when they're watching it, uh-huh. but it's a really genius moment of this character being that dim, but also just <laughs> the fact it's playing with the whole idea that in all of these, you know, Bond films, the villains always mm-hmm. know who he is. He's like, oh, I'm James Stock mm-hmm. or whatever. It's like, uh-huh, mm-hmm. sure thing. <laughs> I like that uh... in this case, the main character is still oblivious to this. He doesn't even understand that. <laughs> this guy's oblivious to a lot of stuff. That's also true. <laughs> so he goes to the uh, lookout. So he's looking at like families, a bunch of couples. Doesn't see anyone who looks like they might be the person for the handoff. And as he goes up to the lookout point, he gets shot at. So the music in this part sounds like the opening bars of Kokomo, the Beach <laughs> Boy be. song. Go back and listen to it if, if you right. don't believe me. And it's interesting because the music just keeps going while the shooting is happening. So it's not like startling. It's not like it's silent and then suddenly there's gunshots. It's like really exciting and scary. It's more no, like a big goofy time. Definitely gives you the idea that this is just an average day for him. Mm-hmm. I also like the part where he had taken off his coat and his sunglasses. And well, first I had to like knock him a few points for having a short sleeve shirt underneath a suit jacket mm. and my wife was fair. like yeah but this is brazil it's like ridiculously hot okay that's a guy guess a kind of fair mm-hmm. and so he runs leaves the briefcase thinks about it goes back for, for the briefcase and then also for his suit and his jacket at like separate times which i enjoyed that eventually he escapes and this is something like a night and day that i point out where movies have this thing where as long as you're moving faster than a, a walk <laughs> no one can hit you with guns, no matter how highly trained they are or professional they are, which of course leads to a thing where it's like guns really aren't that dangerous, which yeah. is not the case. Right. Obviously not true. They, yeah. they can always hit a railing, though. For some reason, <laughs> they can always nail a railing. Mm, that's true. So the shooters are in luchador masks, which maybe that just makes it hard to see for them. That's why they can't shoot that well. Sure. Let's go with <laughs> that. Anyway, so a car drives up to Hubert, says, get in. And so he gets brought to a house, and we find out that these guys, well, these are the two guys who are watching him at the airport. We find mm-hmm. out they're Mossad, and they're after the same guy that Hubert is, Von Zimmel. Hubert really doesn't seem to know about, either he doesn't know about Mossad or just thinks they're a joke. Well, I'm of the opinion that this character really doesn't care that much about any other intelligence service. Like, in his mind, the OSS is the premier, the only one that really matters. Yeah, it's like them and their enemies. Yeah. <laughs> this is also the joke that we referenced earlier where they keep calling him double one seven. Oh, yeah. Correcting them. Mm. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I guess you could say it that way. Mm-hmm. But why would you? <laughs> we also get a bunch of casual Jewish stereotypes. Well, uh, the, well, he's like, Von Zimmel will recognize Jews because of all their distinctive Jewish features, which, of course, is like a Nazi thing. But you know what this scene actually reminded me of was Borat. This is like huh. a total uh, Borat thing. How I he can just see that. keeps talking and they just kind of stare at him. I thought of Borat a lot watching this movie because <laughs> the original film, it doesn't have this sort of um, emphasis on racial humor. Hmm. Then when I'm watching the sequel, I'm thinking like, well, what happened between 2006 and 2009? Borat. And it's like Borat hits in 2006 and is a big deal. Uh, when did, does Bruno 2008 maybe? I don't know. I never watched it. I didn't watch it, yeah. Okay. It's probably a couple years later, but I feel like the Borat influence was alive and well in this sequel. I can definitely see that, yeah. I started to get a little bit uncomfortable with the uh, the racism. Uh, yeah. I, I texted yeah. Cam and made that comparison to Borat earlier, funnily enough. 
But I said at least Borat played it in a way where it was taking the Mickey out of people who were racist. Mm-hmm. Whereas this film almost felt like it was lightly leaning into the racism. It yeah. wants the racism to underline that one one seven is an idiot, mm-hmm. but it's also structuring the racism as punchlines that are going to make an audience laugh. That's yeah. the problem. Yeah, I can see that definitely. So there are other characters who are racist, and the joke is that they're stupid because racism is stupid, but it doesn't really come off in this movie. So right. it's a little strange. Yeah. And also, he never really gets his comeuppance yeah. for his jingoism and, and so on. So I wasn't sure how to feel about it. Maybe the audience yeah. can decide how they, how they feel. Watch the movie for yourself and see. It was weird because often case, you know, when Scott and I tackle spy movies on our podcast we run into issues where we have real conversations. Like, how do we talk about this movie now? Right. For example, True Lies, you know, a mm-hmm. lot of the um, gender stuff doesn't mm-hmm. hold up great 20 plus years later. But in this case, this is a movie a little over 10 years old. So I was yeah. really scratching my head like, boy, is this like more of a regional thing that I'm just like kind of not quite vibing with? I don't know. It was very strange. Hmm. Yeah. That, that's an interesting point about the regional thing. It might be and. But I know that this did play not just for French audiences, but for a wider European and also American audiences. So I don't know. So something else this reminded me of was Austin Powers, which we covered mm-hmm. recently. So Austin Powers is also a spy from the 60s. And the joke is that he is out of touch with modern sensibilities. And I think they're kind of going for the same thing here, where this guy is an old soul, where his attitudes towards women as well as racial minorities are out of touch and he is supposed to look like a rube, but I kind of feel like he's more likable than Austin Powers. You guys can feel free to listen to our Austin Powers and see what you thought, how well that translated to 2021. I'm not sure where I was going with that. Yeah. (laughs) Well, no, I think that's interesting to bring up Austin Powers. And I think that one I'm Mm -hmm. more lenient on because he literally is an old dude. He's been frozen for quite a period of time versus this is a guy who's saying all this stuff in front of his contemporaries who are all looking at him like he's weird. It's like, mm. okay. It's more of a commentary on this specific character in his own time. I don't right. really... That's true. There's parts of it that I found kind of strange. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I was shown that like, Austin has a bit of a heart of gold. Yes. Uh, I, don't want, I don't want to make Huber. a gold member joke. Yeah, but Huber <laughs> just seems to be this like ultimate... Like He would never admit he was wrong, more or less. Right, right. Mm. Yeah. I, I definitely see that too. It's not yeah. like at the end of the movie, he's like, you know what? I was wrong. Jews are okay. And so are Asians too. That doesn't happen. I, I also didn't think, like, as we were watching this, Zach, I was uh-huh. talking about, wow, this is interesting because I'm Asian and you're Jewish. So yeah, none of these will be great for either of us. Well, I didn't mind the Jewish jokes as much as I did the Asian jokes. Maybe hmm. you feel differently. I mean, I was uncomfortable with all of them. There you go. Yeah. yeah. But, throw in the yeah. sexist ones too. Yeah, yeah, that's <laughs> great. Yeah, but at least for those, it seems like he gets more of a comeuppance later on. Mm-hmm. I have a bit of a problem with the homophobic stuff, but uh, there you go. There you oh, go. True. Yeah. True. Yeah. Oh true. yeah. Yeah, that uh, yeah. that rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah. So this movie's just an equal opportunity offender, I guess. It's just, yeah, it's offending all of us one way or another. There's no, there's no anti-Canadian <laughs> jokes, otherwise Cam would have just like not even been on the show. <laughs> that's right. Canadians are greatly offended about when people ridicule Canada. <laughs> I kid, of course. <laughs> right. Hmm. Uh, okay, so moving on. So they're like, Hubert, we want you because you fought Nazis. I assume that refers to the previous movie. And then he meets Dolores. Dolores. Yes. 
She's one hot ticket. <laughs> so she is a female Mossad agent. She's a colonel, but of course Hubert just thinks she's just a secretary. Mm -hmm. The microfilm isn't actually of interest to them. What they really want is Von Zimmel. They want to try him as they did Eichmann. In my notes, I have more Jewish stereotypes. Mm -hmm. yeah. Then they get to work. So Hubert goes back to the hotel. Dolores is following up on leads of her own. And as he goes back into the hotel, there's two Chinese assassins waiting for him in the lobby, but also two Germans. And they all have guns like in newspapers. Hubert basically plays the both of them off of each other, tells them thanks for helping kill those Chinese agents in Gestad, and starts insulting the Chinese, which of course gets Chinese riled up. Basically, as soon as he stopped, gets out of the elevator, they all kill each other. So a couple of things about this is that the Germans kind of deserve it because they start laughing. Who says Germans right. don't have a sense of humor? But I also liked at this part is that as he goes on, the insults stop making sense. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. After a while, it was just things that are yellow. A lot of it sounded like gibberish to me at a certain point, but then I'm also like, is this like a French insult? Does this mean something there that doesn't Maybe. to me mean anything? I, I think the joke is that he just says whatever and they laugh. Yeah. I think my problem with this particular scene in the usage of racism was it was so one-sided. I think if mm. you are going to fight to keep this scene, and I don't know really know why you would, but um, right. I think what he should have done is said, oh, the Germans, you said this about them? And then he turns to the, mm -hmm. the Chinese yeah, and says, I was, and you said, what about the Germans? And, and then throws I was German stereotypes back. Yeah. I feel like if you're going to pull that scene off in a successful way, that's how... You would probably go for it. I agree. Yeah. That would work better. So they all kill each other. And then he goes over to the German embassy in Brazil and goes up to one of the attaches and asks for a list of former Nazis living in Brazil. Maybe they have a club or a guild of something you can tell us about. I really like this part. I thought it was really funny. Uh, Again, it's something poor I would do. It's not that far off of something James Bond would do. <laughs> <laughs> Having no luck, he goes over to the hotel bar where Dolores finds him, and she actually got some work done, says that the CIA has been in contact with Von Zimmel. I know the CIA man here, Bill Tremendous. So they go over to see Bill, and of course in the headquarters in Brazil, there's a giant CIA seal on the floor. Because America, baby. Uh, I have to wonder if these exist, because I was just thinking, you know, I mentioned the movie True Lies earlier. Yeah. And when they go into Omega Sector, yeah. they have the exact same thing on the floor of Omega Sector, like the giant seal. I'm like, I don't know. Is this something that exists? It does only, and I say only, but as far as I know, it's only in Langley. And from what I know, that's only there for like the visitor entrance. Normal people don't usually actually go over through that entrance to see the big seal. Right, fair enough. For the very small amount of visitors they do get. Right. <laughs> so this is also the beginning of the Lana Archer dynamic between Dolores and Hubert. Ooh, you know, I didn't even think about that. But now that you say that, click, yes. Yeah, where he is, he like gets drunk instead of doing his job, or he makes fun of her and she just rolls her eyes, keeps carrying on. Very classic, almost like sitcom archetype of, he's really annoying, she rolls her eyes a lot. You know where this story's headed. Mm -hmm, absolutely. Bill talks to them, said that there's not too much. Apparently Von Zimmel's son is in Brazil and is with a hippie sect. So, yeah. Which starts with all these jokes about haircuts. I'm like, mm, I'm not feeling this about little because I have, I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying my long walks right now. All right, don't take it personally. It's just a movie. <laughs> kind of enjoying that though, because in the 60s, 
a lot of these like entertainments that in theory were aimed at youth were really critical of the hippies. I think of um, you know, Bond, yeah. Bond was pretty anti-counterculture. That's mm-hmm. why Lazenby left the franchise was because he was like, no, this is the, the man. Mm-hmm. I got to leave to go be with the hippies. But also I think of the Star Trek episode, The Way to <laughs> Eden, where Kirk and Spock run into the space hippies and are so critical of them. I have to rewatch that episode. I haven't seen that in a long time. You don't. You don't have to rewatch it. <laughs> it it's a trip. This reminds me of a class I took in high school called The 60s where we did the war, we read Malcolm X's biography, but we talked about the hippies too. And my teacher, who is the man, obviously, I mean, in the bad sense, not in oh, okay. the good sense. I was wondering. What... Yeah, like all, like all teachers, they're, they're part of the, the man. He was like, so hippies are a good idea. It's a great idea, you know, free love, you do whatever. It's not a sustainable way of life. You can do that for like a couple months, and then you have to get back to reality. That's just the so truth. So basically what Hubert says later. Yeah, but that's not just like his opinion. That's like the reality, or that's what he would say. Yeah, I don't know. I feel like I can see where he was coming from. So let me change the subject <laughs> to the fact that hippie sex and hippie sex joke that like double entendre apparently oh! also works in French. Yes, I was not getting the joke. <laughs> well, it works in English and French, which is yeah. Surprising. I wonder what the words are in French. You could look it up, I guess. They go to the place where Heinrich and the hippies were last seen, and he bursts into the door, and I liked that anytime it like bursts into somewhere or he like turns around and like draws his gun very quickly, he goes into like the, the James Bond gun barrel pose. Mm-hmm. Where like the arm stretched out too. The only people in there are some kids who stare at him. And Dolores talk goes to talk to the kids and finds out that the hippies have left and they're on a beach nearby. Yeah. So they go over to the beach, they find Heinrich. Hubert says to Dolores to use your feminine wiles to distract him and I'll go after him. But instead she just tackles him. That was a good joke. Again, very much like something out of Archer. And then also at this point, Heinrich's like, I want to help you guys. I hate my father. He's a Nazi. And Hubert like slaps him. He's like, don't talk badly about your father. Uh, How old was Heinrich supposed to be? 20s, maybe? I couldn't if tell he's a hippie, if the actor he's probably early 20s, yeah. yeah. Looked like they'd cast a much older actor and then the joke is that he's supposed to be like a 20-year-old. I don't know. Maybe I'm just being very unkind right now. <laughs> People age faster back then. Yeah, that's true. true. Yeah. No, Connery is a gorgeous man, but when he started Dr. No, he's the same age as me. I'm like, wow, they just did some hard living back then with the, the smoking and the drinking because that's just age. Like he does not look like he was 34. Also no sunscreen. I am, I think, either the same age or now older than Connery and Diamonds Are Forever. And I'm like, oh my god. Uh, <laughs> you know, like Frank Miller writing The Dark Knight Returns because he woke up one day and realized he was older than Batman? <laughs> yeah, I did not much. know that. That's a, that's funny. <laughs> they split up. I've, I don't remember where Dolores said she was going, but Hubert stays with uh, at the hippie commune with uh, Hubert. And he's talking to all the hippies. This is also when we start to get that family unfriendly nudity that I was talking about. Yeah. It comes and fast and furious. He takes some LSD, mm-hmm. but it doesn't kick in until a little bit later. So he's talking around the, camp, uh, the campfire with the hippies, and he, he says that thing about how it's not sustainable and right. how they need haircuts. And there's a mention of, like, what about next year? What is 1968 going to be the year of the youth? Ha! I'm like, hmm, 1968, a lot of things happened in 1968. Was that the summer of love? 
I think 69, but 68 is when we had some riots. We had uh, MLK assassinated as well as Robert Kennedy. Um, yeah, not a great year. Uh, the Summer of Love was 1967. Yeah, so is that oh, wow. year. Okay, that makes sense with all the hippies then. Hi, Spy Five fans. We have a promotion for you. This is not an ad. No, it is not. We're offering you a chance to win a free Spy Five Guys t-shirt if you live in the U.S. or Canada. All you have to do is leave a five-star review for this podcast on iTunes and use the code word SUMMER in the review. That's the code word SUMMER. You have until the end of the swinging 60s summer to the end of September 2021. We will select our winner at random from all the entries received. Again, that's a five-star written review with the code word SUMMER for your chance to win. Good luck, and thank you for listening. And as he's talking, the LSD kicks in, and two women guide him over to another part of the beach where a bunch of naked people and they have an orgy. Right. This felt like the scene they would have loved to have worked into a Lazenby Bond film. <laughs> but would never quite go there. No. <laughs> he also gets... It gets a little bi-curious with another one of the guy hippies that comes back later, which is why I felt the need to mention it. Oh, okay. I was, I was wondering. Yeah, okay. It does come back later. Yeah. Don Hubert is on a plane with Dolores. And, of course, we get another Chinese assassin. This one who, I will say the competency of them seems to go up from just trying to duct him to or the elevator. Now to plane where he was the pilot locks the cockpit doors and jumps out of the plane with a helicopter, or not a helicopter, with a parachute. Mm-hmm. It's like, all right, shades of uh, Temple of Doom. <laughs> yeah, also a little bit of Moonraker, too. I could see bit. Moonraker. I could also see You Only Live Twice. Doesn't that happen? Like, he's in the plane with Helgo Brandt and gets yeah. he jumps out of the plane with a helicopter. I, mean, I keep saying a helicopter when I mean parachute. I don't know why. You mentioned that movie, but you've got Little Nelly, the helicopter. So, you know what? I can understand <laughs> how it's going to be all Plane's going down. I didn't notice Heinrich on the plane until this point. Did you guys notice him until then? He's only been sleeping in the back. I hadn't noticed him, though. But it makes uh, sense. Yeah. Sort so of. he wakes up and is like, what's just going on? And then plane goes behind a mountain. There's an explosion. And somehow they all survive this. Mm-hmm. If it worked in Temple of Doom, why not? <laughs> I think yeah, the writers were like, we don't have another way for them to get out of this. So we'll just have to pass the plane. Uh, they didn't have a life preserver or a lifeboat handy so they could try the Temple of Doom thing. So Dolores was like wondering, you know, why do the Chinese keep attacking? And Hubert tries to distract them by saying, oh, wasn't it the Chinese who worked with the Nazis? No, that's the Japanese. Oh, uh, never mind then. I don't know. It's so bad. <laughs> Speaking of confusing people, later he confuses Jews and Muslims. I thought was pretty funny. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah. That's right, yeah. They're wandering around the jungle trying to find their way back to civilization. Dolores thanks Hubert for saving them. And Hubert makes this big, long speech about not wanting a long-term commitment, despite that Dolores has shown no interest in one. And he's also he's very confused by this. Mm-hmm. And this is where we get one of the, of a few times where he gets shut down by Dolores. And he's like, your views about anyone, basically, are best kept to yourself. Yeah, that was a good burn. Also around this part is interesting team dynamics shift, where it's yeah. Heinrich and Dolores start to like be a unit and he's literally out in the cold. <laughs> yeah. And so they come to this crocodile river. Heinrich decides he's going to go for a dip and takes off all his clothes. But as he's going, a crocodile attacks and Hubert shoots it. And I liked how somehow he shot it so that it turned over, like it went belly up and he shot it in its belly somehow. Well, he's that good a shot. 
That's the thing. And there you go. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like a fish when a fish turns belly up when it dies. It's like the crocodiles is the same thing. Sure. And and Hubert tells Dolores to cook the crocodile, which you know she refuses and gets offended by. And so she and Heinrich go off to gather some fruits while Hubert is trying in vain to cook the crocodile. And I, I actually really enjoyed this as like he's struggling and he gets all the blood all over him and he's trying to get the guts out of the crocodile by just going in with his hand like all the way up to his shoulder. Somehow gets it on a spit. <laughs> I thought Jean Desjardins was really funny in this sequence. It's a really good physical comedy. I agree. I loved how much they played up the blood where he's like wiping the back of, you know, his face at the back of his hand, just smearing blood everywhere. <laughs> and just how unappealing it is. Like he's like ripping the guts out through the mouth. No one would want to eat after this. He's <laughs> like, and he's just like so confused. How come this isn't cooking? Why is this not cooking? <laughs> yeah. Then it would take about three days to cook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Dolores tries to offer him the fruit, and he's like, no, this will take time to cook, but once it does, it'll be delicious, and yeah. just being really stubborn. It's because he's a man, and men eat meat. They don't eat berries. Uh, the next day, they're in Brasilia. We unfortunately don't get to see it, but we find out that they crossed the river from a paddle boat that Hubert made from the plans that he saw earlier, but he's mad at Dolores because, you know, she wouldn't let him carve the duck head. I thought that was actually pretty funny. Like, yeah. that was a fun way to pay off that joke at the start, but also to deprive the audience of actually yeah. seeing the duck boat in action. I thought that was funny. Well, you do. We'll save that for later. Also, somehow his suit is, like, completely fine despite all the blood. Ah, that's, that's very Bond, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. He just finds yeah. another suit. Yeah. Heinrich called his father's partner, says that his father is throwing a costume party, and so they're going to sneak in. So they meet back all in costumes. So Dolores got a maid's uniform and is using that as a costume. Hubert is in a full Robin Hood costume, which he apparently sewed in that time. Yeah. And Heinrich is in a Nazi uniform. Mm -hmm. And as they're leaving, the uh, luchadors, uh, luchador assassins are watching them. I also like the joke here where Dolores is pretty mad at Heinrich about his Nazi costume. Uh -huh. And Hubert says it's because she's Jewish. Like, only Jewish people wouldn't want to see somebody dressed up like an SS colonel uh, on the streets of Brazil. Yeah. I did appreciate his Errol Flynn Robin Hood costume, though. Like, that takes commitment. It was great. And I like he had his, I assume he would like eyeliner or makeup or something. He had a very pencil thin mustache drawn in. I like that. But anyway, so they drive to the party. Yeah, this is one of the times where they do that thing where they color shift it so that blue, so that even though it was filmed in the day, it's night. But it's very obvious. Right. Yep. There's some clear swastikas right on the gate of the castle. So yeah, no, the, we know this is where, where this is going. Lots of people are dressed up in Nazi uniforms. Hubert says, oh, maybe they just went to the same costume shop that Heinrich went to. I was like, hmm, Sure. Well, it's not just a lot of people, it's everybody. Everyone, yeah, everyone bes besides them. Yeah, including a black guy, which was interesting. I, was, I saw that. It's like, there's a, there's a few different black people in Nazi uniforms, which was like, all right, maybe they're, you know, Afro-Latino in Brazil, but still Nazi uniforms. When I saw the, the, the black guys in Nazi uniforms, that's when I thought maybe it is actually a costume party. Because... Mm -hmm. <laughs> Hmm. They, they no wouldn't class. be in the Nazi party. So I was like, oh, no. okay, maybe it is a misdirect. And then obviously it is a bunch of Nazis. So strange choice. Maybe yeah. it's like when you're on the run in Brazil, you take who you can get. Maybe. Numbers are dwindling. <laughs> uh, we'll let, it, let some people in. We'll relax yeah. the restrictions a little bit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
Von Zimmel calls out Noel Flantier and then says, who was also known as OSS 117. And that's what he is like, wait, they know. Mm. We find out that Einrich was tricking them this whole time. He had a wig on. I'm not clear if this is the wig was only part of the costume or if there was a wig the whole time. I think it was a wig the whole time. Yeah. Good thing you didn't yeah. actually go yeah. in the water. Right. Von Zimmel is still on stage making a speech about how this is going to be our new Reich. It's going to be great. And then Kubert's like, ha, the Fourth Reich? you got to be kidding me. Is it? Von Zimmel's like, oh, no, the Four Fourth Reich? That's a joke. That's failed so many times. This will be new. This will be great. Even better than that. This will be the Fifth Reich. Yeah, just skip a Reich. That'll work. Uh, and then Hubert tries to make this big inspirational speech complete with, like, inspirational sounding music. And it's like, what if the Fifth Reich were the Reich of Love? I did like the Reich of Love. I thought that was pretty funny. But, of course, they all laugh at him. Mm -hmm. So Hubert and Dolores are brought over to the office, and they're looking around. All right, how do we get out of this? And he sees a vent, and sees a ladder conveniently underneath the vent. And he's like about to act when Von Zimmel arrives early with his entourage. Yeah, I didn't understand that. It wasn't particularly funny. It's Which like, part? The, the fact that they arrived early? Yeah, it, it's like, let's just let's just keep it moving. Come on, let's keep the momentum going here. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate it because it's it's that Bond trope of, all right, put you in somewhere where you can easily escape from later on. Yeah, you know, you think of like Dr. No, which we referenced earlier. They put him in like the prison cell with the escapable grate in the ceiling, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I like that they're setting it up that 117 can escape from this scenario, but then they pull the rug out from under you that, oh no, it's only yeah. been about 30 seconds. I, I liked it. I appreciated it. <laughs> yeah, it's a good quick joke. Yeah, I think you guys are trying to convince me. And I would say, I also like that the idiot's like, put them somewhere, I'll deal with them later. Actually, I'll deal with them right now. Never mind. It's like a Mel Brooks thing. Also, Carlotta arrives, Nazi attire. I almost forgot about her actually. So I was like, oh yeah, that's right. She's a character. Right. Kind of. So they tie Hubert up on a, like a medical bed, and they're going to cut him open. Apparently, he's had the microfilm as well as a different microfilm inside him the whole time, and apparently, he doesn't remember because of a serum that causes short-term memory loss. I like this joke, though the flashback of basically exact same conversation when he got that implanted right. into him. Yeah, that was kind of funny, but I'm not sure it justified the twist. I thought him having stuff sewed into him was kind of stupid. <laughs> for like 20 years and nobody noticed. Right. Well, we, d we don't know how, long. I guess sometime in World War II, I assume. Right. Yeah, all right, fair enough. Like, did they have x-rays in the 60s? They did. <laughs> they definitely did. Yeah, they did. And it's not like um, they were in a container either. They were just loose in there. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the first thing is like. Because he like pulls them out as if he's pulling tape from like a dispenser. I'm like, they weren't like in like some sort of like container in or anything in there they were just loose in his body and didn't deteriorate somehow i feel like in a movie though where the characters escape off screen in a duck boat i'm willing to go along for the ride that this guy <laughs> had these yeah, thrown it, into him. yeah fair enough yeah it's mm -hmm. it's funny when you watch movies like this it's like all right what's the thing that crosses the line for you oh not this a re really ridiculous thing but it's that thing exactly i did like that at this part he's like we needed you because the microfilm was in you and all that stuff about you being the best agent in France was a bunch of nonsense. Right. <laughs> yeah. Dolores gets the drop on Heinrich, has him at gunpoint, to gets them to untie Hubert. Hubert grabs the gun from Dolores and somehow 
Heinrich is shot, presumably by Hubert, but he like denies it. Yeah, presumably by accident, but I did think it was kind of funny. Gunfight ensues, he kills a bunch of Nazis, kills one of the luchadors, but has to fight the other. And I enjoyed this fight, actually, because there's a lot of classic like wrestling moves in there. But there are also some nice like luchador moves, like the parts where he like climbs up and like gets him in his head and swings him over, which is uh, if you've seen any of the like the Marvel movies, it's a classic like Black Widow does this move all the time, which is a luchador yeah. move. I found both of these OSS movies. The action is actually very well directed, mm-hmm. and in a lot mm-hmm. of comedies, they're not particularly visually interesting or right. at least visually dynamic. Mm-hmm. But it really feels like they put in the time and effort to make these movies look fantastic. Well, oh, definitely. Yeah, it was a bit of an odd choice to have them basically have a stage by stage wrestling match as their <laughs> fight. As, as someone who yeah. spent a lot of time in his life doing wrestling stuff, uh, mm-hmm. watching it or whatnot, uh, they actually yeah. did moves and such that wrestlers would fake do with each other in professional wrestling not amateur wrestling and it it was just bizarre to see them doing you know uh, as you say the hurricane rana or the frankensteiner where they legs around the head pull to the floor and you just think no one does that in an actual fight (laughs) speak for yourself scott yeah i wondered (laughs) if this was supposed to be like a fight that they would make in the movies in the 60s where the fight coordination isn't up to 21st century standards I thought it was a case of, say, the stunt guy was actually a professional wrestler. Because you mm-hmm. have a lot of times where you have professional wrestlers in films and they'll do some right. of their moves as part of their fight sequence. Mm-hmm. But I went and had a look and the guy is just a stunt guy. So I, huh. I, I don't know why they chose to have a wrestling match. I think the only reason is because they're wearing the luchador masks. I yeah. agree. So as this is happening, I always keep remembering what, forgetting what, the, what his name is. Von Zimmel and Carlotta have escaped in a car. And so once he defeats the luchador, run outside and he grabs his bow and arrow and preparing to shoot, shoot and like holding for the longest time, like getting the perfect aim and perfect shot. And they're very far away. And once he tries, gets caught up in the, in the string and it's like, oh, yeah, this is just the toy. OK, so there's something I like to do in these episodes where I rewrite the movie and Christian would say <laughs> it's usually for the worse. So I'm going to make Not an attempt always. this Sometimes time. Sometimes it's better. Okay, I'm going to make an attempt this time. Uh, where he has the arrow, it falls apart, yeah. and he doesn't say it's a children's toy, because it obviously is a children's toy. We can all see that. I would have had Dolores say, what did you think was going to happen? All and right. he just looks dejected and like walks away. <laughs> I actually do like that rewrite better, yeah. Thank you. And uh, Dolores picks up the arrow and throws it herself and stops the car. <laughs> there you go. Flies <laughs> uh, like yeah, 60 feet. We have next like 20 yeah, minutes of the style. movie. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so they get in a car to chase them. There's some really good rear projection here that I enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And Hubert is trying to compliment her and says that, you know, you're my basically my fam- female alter ego. This is when she finally tells him off, says you're a misogynist, you're a tacky dresser. You're a racist, all these things. And of course, the one that he picks up, like, wait, I'm a tacky dresser? Who's scruffy looking? Yeah, yeah, exactly. And speaking of a different uh, Harrison Ford franchise, as they're driving, there's an Indiana Jones map with the red dot and the line as they're, you know, go- showing the map of where they go. Mm-hmm. The car in f- that they're chasing runs out of gas, and Dolores goes car- after Carlotta, who's w- gone one direction. Hubert goes after Von Zimmel, who's going the other direction. 
they're at this big waterfall and they're like trying to shout threateningly to each other, but of course it's all drowned out by the waterfall, which I enjoyed. Yeah, it's like Shazam. It's like the part where, uh, what's his name? Mark Strong. Yeah, Mark yeah. Strong is really far Strong. away and he's making a speech and our hero can't hear him. <laughs> so they have a scuffle and they end up both going over the falls together. Were those the same waterfalls as in Moonraker? They had the yes. boat chase in? Yeah, that's what yes. I thought. Yeah, this was like the Reichenbach fall from Sherlock. The real one, not the BBC not the one with yeah. Benedict. <laughs> and do we actually see them like hit the rocks? I think yes. it's like a, yes. and then yeah. like a cracking sound. Oof. And yet somehow they're both alive. So that was funny, but I didn't like when they wake up in the hospital because I was really? like, oh, geez. It's a, it kills the momentum again. Uh, it's like he right. almost has him, and then we have this – sorry to jump ahead, but we have this very slow chase scene. Yeah, that's what, that's what I was going to. Yeah, so they, yeah. They, yeah, they wake up in the hospital. They, they have the very slow chase scene, and they both have IVs in them, so they have their – I guess they're Ivy Bag. I don't know what else, if there's a more formal name for it. And they're carrying on with on their stands. Drip. A drip. Thank drip. You. Yeah. 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 It's funny, but it goes on a little too long. Fair I know enough. I say that yeah. a lot. It outstays its welcome. It, you, you, you kind of laugh at the whole idea of them shuffling after each other. But when they get to the corridor, you're like, is, is anyone going to attend to these guys? They're just sort of wandering around. And <laughs> I don't know. It, it, does, it yeah. does string that joke on a bit too long. It does upset the momentum, though, in that. I feel like comedy, you're better off to go fast-paced mm -hmm. and get to the end versus dragging it out. And I felt like this one's 100 minutes, and I felt like this whole hospital sequence, just to lead to that ending, uh, not the most necessary. Thanks, like, Cam. Can you go on every week and you agree with me that things need to go faster? I'll agree with you on, yeah, for sure on this one. Was anyone looking at their watch by this point? Actually, no. Mm -hmm. not, I was. not really. Yeah. I don't have a watch, but I was looking at the, um, the counter on the player, yeah. Yeah, this is a bit, I was like, uh, is this still going? Just me, it sounds like, just me and Cam. Leonard Mullen <laughs> says that at least 10 minutes, maybe more like 20 minutes, can be cut out of every movie. So I'm carrying on his tradition. I, can, yeah. I, I will I agree with you that it went on too long. There are bits in the chase that I like, though. Like, I like the start of it. I did try to t tune out as they're going through it, but when you get to the elevator, that's when it's like, oh, that's funny, when he gets all the way down the stairs. So if you could, like, just have maybe you condense that i think it would have worked a lot better his review of the first movie roger ebert said they should have cut 10 minutes or something out of the first one mm -hmm. and i really disagreed with that i thought the first one had a very like strong pace like i really felt carried through that mm -hmm. movie and mm -hmm. felt more this was the one that i felt like i don't think ebert reviewed the second one but i'm like you might want to have mm -hmm. waited and applied that to the second one over the first yeah that's fine so von zimmel escapes in a car hubert is helped out because he falls over this i didn't need the, the, him getting hit in, in the head twice with the, with the elevator doors once was good twice was mm -hmm. too much yeah and he's helped up by a nurse he's asking about his outfit oh your green robin hood outfit well we destroyed that because it was ruined okay do you have any spare clothes uh, the old gardener has some spare clothes but it may not be your style <laughs> of course he changes into it and it's a beautiful looking tuxedo with a very George Lazenby frilly shirt front. Yeah, it's like the puffy shirt from Seinfeld. It's so frilly. <laughs> Very good gag. I actually really enjoyed the whole old gardener's clothes, and that's what you get. Well, the timing was really good. It may not be your yeah. style. <laughs> Boom, there it is. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Like you said, it was fast-paced, and it worked, yeah. And I think mm -hmm. we wanted fast after that chase. Yep, and then there's some spice stuff that you'll appreciate. He does the whole Scrabble 
uh, thing on a notepad to get the indentation of what was written before. But it's just a, this drawing of a swastika. This is a good attempt. Wasn't it, yeah. wasn't it like I heart Nazis? Or something? Oh, was it that? I, I only yeah. saw the swastika. I didn't see the that. Oh, geez. <laughs> well, that's um, also notable because he does that whole scratch thing. And this movie, we'll get into it in a minute, has a whole North by Northwest section. That's what Cary uh, <laughs> Grant does that scratch technique in North by Northwest. Right. Yeah. yeah. Okay, where would he be if not for this very helpful nurse who knows that Von Zimmel made a phone call and says that, you know, we're meeting at the, uh, what was it, Corcovado at 8 o'clock. Yeah, they say it a bunch of times, so you better pick up on it. <laughs> I also like how she speaks French, just like everybody else in this movie. Exactly. <laughs> uh, but yes, all right, well, I need to get there. So he calls Dolores and Bill to let them know that this is happening. And they call everyone else, and basically, the whole, and then the whole screen is just full of like all these tiny split screens. But they call a bunch of people who we don't even know and no. don't even show up later, so I don't no. really know why it's there. I, I think it's just a split screen joke. Yeah, I would say so. Yeah. He talks to the very helpful nurse again and says, all right, you, you happen to have a car or something nearby I can use? Oh, well, the old gardener has, has a car, but I'm not sure if it would be your style. And, of course, it's this gorgeous-looking convertible. I just want to be this old gardener. Well, so that's <laughs> that's something that's interesting because there's the three rule in comedy where comedy yeah. jokes come in threes. Yeah. There was no third. Yeah, that. So I'm, yeah. I'm going to push my luck. I'm going to rewrite okay. the movie again. All right. right? All right. This Let's is two. It. So the other one is you'd be like, okay, I lost my gun. Do you have any weapons here? And she's like, the gardener had a gun, but it may not be like, I don't know, your 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 style, style or whatever. Yeah. So then it's like a like a mini gun or like some other like enormous, <laughs> over the top, really expensive gun. Hollywood, here I come with these rewrites. You You're like Carrie Fisher. Well, you know about the the other thing about the comedic rule of three is the third thing always subverts the first two in some way. I'll have to get back to you about that. So instead, have yeah. him just have like uh, I don't know a Swiss Army knife. <laughs> something I don't know. Yeah, something else. Yeah. He drives over to the CAA office first, stopping to get a good photo. Right. Of course. Because I mean, if you acquire this nice tux and this car, you want a photo with them. But it's like a photo in front of like a junkyard. Yeah, that was fun. I liked. I, I laughed at that when he was like, he's posed all nice. I was like, yeah, that's just like a bunch of trash or something. But yeah, as he drives to the CIA office, it's all dark and empty, and he's like lurking around. Bill finds him and has him at gunpoint. It says that Von Zimmel went to the CIA for protection, and we're going to take mm -hmm. him in. Yeah. Carlotta ha comes in with Dolores at gunpoint, but as all this is going on, one of the other Chinese assassins comes in and kills Bill. And I don't think we ever, we actually kind of skimmed over the fact that everyone's, each one of them has said, you killed my brother in Gestad. One wonders if all of them are rela like related to one person in there, or each of them had a separate brother who was there. Or they mean like <laughs> like a blood brother. Mm. Maybe. Yeah. We also get a, a spurt of blood over Bill Tremendous's name tag. I didn't catch that. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty fast, but it's like, that's, yep, that's yeah. his name, all right. <laughs> now Carlotta has Hubert at gunpoint. I wasn't clear. Who does Hubert kick the gun to? Is it the Chinese assassin, or is it to Bill? I don't know. Neither of them makes sense. Why would they kill Carlotta? Yeah, uh, I'm blanking on that. Do you remember Scott? He says something about, doesn't he say something about uniting the two countries against China? He says something about like, if, if we, if you That's let me right. go, we'll form a new Nazi something or other against the Chinese or something. I he he infers that. 
Yeah, he infers something, and then the Chinese guy shoots her because he doesn't want that to happen because she's a Nazi. Okay, okay, that yeah. makes sense. All right, I wasn't clear because you don't really get a good look at who it is, and also once they shoot Carlotta, they never focus on the guy again. So Carlotta's dead, and Hubert and Dolores are going up to the Christ the Redeemer, the Redeemer statue. But before yeah. they get there, he sees one of the hippies who was with him on the beach, and he's like confused because he's like don't i know you from somewhere so again this was funny but it breaks the momentum it goes on too long it'd be, it'd be funny I if he's, he's the guy for the guy well the guy it'd be better if the guy like sees him gives him like a a wink and he's like he like looks really uncomfortable has like a gay panic moment and then and then keeps going i don't know i just felt bad for the guy because he's like there he's like oh, well actually, i laughed when he's like what are you doing now he's like eating a candied apple would you like some? <laughs> I didn't find it that funny, but that's me. I, I just laughed at the awkwardness of it. I think they just wanted to work in the forbidden fruit joke. Scott's watching this movie on a different level than the rest of us. Right. They go up to the base of the statue. They get shot at, and they're shouting to Von Zimmel that Carlotta and Bill are dead. No reason to keep doing this. Von Zimmel's like threatening to kill himself. He goes on this, you know, all that whole, basically the whole, you know, prick us, do not, we do, do we not bleed speech. Yeah, from the Merchant of Venice, which of course is I, I by was, Shylock. I was more wowed when they were going up the stairs and the music from North by Northwest kicked in, as well as we got a <laughs> vertigo joke. Where they started doing the vertigo, uh, um, him looking down and the you know the mm-hmm. earth and whatever or whatever the ground rising up. Um, so I appreciated mm-hmm. the du- the dueling Hitchcock references going oh. on at the same time. Mm-hmm. Of course, like the whole statue thing is completely taken out of North by Northwest in the finale. Oh yeah, at uh, yeah at Mount Rushmore. If you're gonna rip off somebody, you might as well have the best. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they even have the moment where he has the has uh, Zimmel's hand. And then it cuts to him pulling mm. the girl up, just like the end of North by Northwest. That's so right. I thought that, that was really brilliant. Like, I, I forgot that about brilliant. that in North by Northwest. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's a good smash cut. Or uh, It was a great transition, yeah. Well, we kind of skipped past where he finally overcomes his vertigo. I think we all saw it coming. We, have, we get another <laughs> flashback to the trapeze accident. Although it's not like... I was wondering if there was going to be... You'd see a little bit more of it and not just this exact same footage. But no, it's the same footage. And, th- and no more. Right. Yeah, same. Because the flashback joke is expanded in the first film when they have like the third yeah, exactly, revisit. Because yeah. yeah, you you see like the actual the fact that the guy didn't like him at all and the homoerotic romance never actually took place. But then yeah, in this film it's just it's just three of the same clips. <laughs> so he catches von Zimmel at the base of the statue. Dolores and Hubert, you know, meet up with each other. We don't know where Dolores was this whole time. Like this didn't feel like this didn't feel earned to me. The kiss. Nope, it totally wasn't. But that's what you do at the end of movies in the 60s and the 80s is you get the girls the reward. This is what you do. I was wondering, too, if the kiss with the fireworks going off was um, a reference mm-hmm. to To Catch a Thief. Because I was like, is this a third Hitchcock they're working in? Because you have that big kiss scene in To Catch a Thief with Cary Grant and, and the female lead in that, Grace Kelly, and the fireworks are all going off in the background. So I was wondering about that. Also, the fact that they do this and they make like some Christmas jokes... Mm-hmm. Made me yeah. think about the world is not enough. Another good one, yeah. Where yeah. they're kissing, where they're toasting, they're kissing, and there's a, again fireworks going off. So I thought this was going to be the end of the movie, actually. But no, we have another scene back at the office. Yeah, I wish it was the end of the movie. Yeah, yeah. Where Hubert talks to Armand, and we find out that Armand's name was on the list of the collaborators, 
And yeah. Wait, 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 wait. Is this under the rug? Yeah. I thought it was going to be like a Quentin Tarantino where he's like, your name was on that list. And then they play pull guns and it's like all crazy and intense. But no. I get like the intro to Casino Royale where like Bond oh, pulls yeah. out the gun on the guy and um, that sort of quick like shoot thing. Yeah. But nope, nothing until they just have a toast and this is chill out. Not that kind of, to quote a different spy movie, this ain't that kind of movie. movie. No, it's not. He t- sort of brushed that under the rug. He also just kind of bribes him with the Legion of Honor medal. Mm-hmm. Mm. He is mean. Yeah, we, when we find out that Hubert's next mission will be in China, there's a man named Lee who's taken 50 French hostages but will only deal with Hubert. And we get you know a flurry of Lee puns on with the name Lee, which Austin Powers did this joke better. Yeah. And yeah. Hudson Hawk did too. And, and like, I mean, Austin Powers <laughs> did it a decade earlier. Yeah. This is a joke. Was that the first Austin Powers, I think, did it? So that's like 97. Yeah. And here we are in 2009. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Although it goes on a little long, I did think it was funny when the boss says, I think we've about covered it. Yeah. Yeah. And then he tries for one more. <laughs> yeah. I think uh, I think that's about it. And that, that about covers it. <laughs> I think we about covered it, yeah. I mean, the only thing I have is in the end credits, we see all of his pictures, selfies, oh, yes. and, and then a thing of him in the boat. In the yes, boat. I like seeing the duck boat. All right, so now it's time for our spy fact versus spy fiction section. I have a little bit, if you'd like me to I go first. a little bit as well. Yeah, you want to go first? Go ahead. Okay, so in the Roger Ebert review, which I also read, he says that Hubert looks like a parody of James Bond, but he came first. His novels about him started in 1949, and there's been over 280 Hubert de la Bath novels and a bunch of movies before these. Right, which were not full-on parodies. They were like... No, yeah. Yeah, yeah in the spy 60s craze, yeah. That's all for me. Okay, so I've got a few things. So the office that he works for, the SDECE, in my head, he worked for the Dizim Bureau, Mm-hmm. But then I saw this, I was very confused. But apparently, this uh, Dizine Bureau is focused primarily on military intelligence and also didn't only existed up to 1940. Oh, so Danger like, Man got it wrong. Yeah, but it's like one of those things where, you know, like MI5 or Smirsh, you know, it, the name actually outlived the actual organization and just became a, sort of a general term for the intelligence service of that country. So I've got that. Um, obviously, there were many Nazis who went to Brazil after the war. The most famous was uh, Joseph Mengele, also known mm-hmm. as the Angel of Death. I was curious because I didn't remember when the happy face became a actual recognized symbol. And it w- apparently it was up until 19, uh, like starting in the 1940s because I was like, didn't Forrest Gump tell me that the happy face didn't really become a thing until the 70s? No. Yeah, the 70s, I mean, it had a real resurgence at least. Yeah. It became mm-hmm. a... Major iconic symbol then, but yeah, interesting. But the last thing I have is about the waterfall, uh, Iguazu Falls. So as you said, it did feature in Moonraker, and I was going to bring that up. Um, But also it's been on a lot of other films, including uh, Indiana Jones, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, Civil War. It's actually used as like a background plate, as well as Black Panther. Oh, okay. It's used as a background plate for uh, Wakanda. Right. I think the... The ceremony where they where the where they fight and the, to add the challenge, they use that as a background plate for it. Oh, oh that makes sense. I guess where all the people are standing, the audience. Yeah, as off to the side. Yeah. Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah. 
All right, I think that's what we got for spy fact versus spy fiction. Okay, so next we have our favorite quotes. I hope our guests have a couple of quotes ready. Otherwise, I'm sure IMDB can help you out. <laughs> I've got a few. Um, do you guys have any? I mean, I had the Reich of Love as one of mine, but also <laughs> um, the bit where she's like, reference jokes about her father or something. He's like, don't talk about your father that way. Oh, uh, yeah. No, that was uh, uh, Heinrich. Being like, yeah, I hate my yeah, father. Sure, yeah. yeah. Yes. One other great one. I am an adventure. I am an adventure. <laughs> I, thought that was, I thought that was like a cool line. Uh, It'd be cool if it was in English. Sorry. sorry. <laughs> I hate to say it. All right, Scott, how about you? The only thing that springs to mind for some reason is the scene where he's talking to the guy after taking the LSD and he's, he's saying something like, I like what's going on here. But out of context, a finger in the buttocks can be, you know, I just want to be clear. And everyone's like, yeah, it's okay. <laughs> I was like, this is such a weird scene. Like, you need to clear that stuff up. Yeah. I want to watch the whole movie again, but they're in English but with French accents. I didn't want to put the French accent on there. Oh, man. <laughs> Yeah, I'm surprised that's actually the first fake French accent that's come out. I was sure that I was going to come out with one at some point because I have made various terrible accents, actually both of us have, throughout the history of this podcast. <laughs> Wait, are you saying my French accent was bad? No, no was I think yours was great. Mine's, a, mine's oh. much worse. And I knew better uh. than to attempt one. <laughs> All right, well, I've got a few. And you know what? Just for funsies, I'm going to try doing a French accent while I'm saying them. Okay. Sooner or later, reality will cut the hair. <laughs> see, mine's just over the top and ridiculous. <laughs> or, let's see. No, I'm, that was the only one that I think is short enough that I could actually try it. My other ones are too long for me mm-hmm. to even try. Next time you change the world, watch out for crocodiles. This is good life advice. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, my, and my favorite was the, each of us must conquer our fears. Yours is Nazis. Mine is trapeze. Oh, okay. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm going to push my luck even further and try to rewrite that too. Okay, all right. I thought it would have been funny if that part where he's like, look, we're all afraid of stuff. You're afraid of Nazis. I'm afraid of trapeze. And she's like, I'm not afraid of Nazis. And he, he just kind of stares at her. Doesn't know what to Maybe. do. Because, uh, like, I don't understand where that was coming from. She didn't seem afraid of Nazis in no, the movie. She didn't. I think you were, you're on the track of where the joke was supposed to be. I just... And you're right, it, it didn't necessarily land on that part, but I just like the fact that it, like, it seems out of nowhere to her, mm. that the trapeze thing. That's true. Because <laughs> he never mentions it ever to anyone, mm-hmm. except somehow uh, Von Zimmel knows about it. He has his ways. I thought a line that was kind of cool, and I could try to do a French line, is where he says, Von Zimmel, for France, hand over the microfilm, and for Israel, turn yourself in. I thought that was kind of a cool line. And then from the part where Scott was talking about after the hippies, he's like, I took some RSVP and had a good time. <laughs> that, of course, reminds Sorry. me of Star Trek when he oh. takes a little too much LDS. Like LDS. Back. <laughs> <laughs> right, which I love the fact that the abbreviation for Lower Decks is LDS. All right. So now it is time for our ratings on a scale of one to ten martinis. One being a horrible spy movie, ten being a great Amazing, everything could ever hope for. How would you guys rate OSS 117, Lost in Rio? All right, as our guests, why don't you guys go first? Yeah, I'll, I'll go. I'm going to rate it a four. It made me laugh at times. It had some interesting scenes, but I feel like it was probably about 20 minutes too long. The racism and some of the other bigotry really got under my skin unfortunately and and i've i've watched films that are far older than this that are 
also far more racist than this, but for some reason it felt like making this choice in 2009 was just a bad move. Um, And I just feel like it it was inferior in almost every way to the first film. Hmm. Interesting. And maybe it's been a while since I've seen the first film, and I've seen this one more recently, so I'm I'm wondering if what I'll think of it when we go back to it. Yeah, I gave it a five, um, and so not too far off of Scott. And for me, I could still really enjoy the world building of this film, um, you know, the, the technique behind it. Um, I think Michelle um, Hazanavicious does a really good job creating the vibe of a swinging 60s spy movie. So I was pulled into all that. I think Guy, uh, sorry, I think um, Jean Desjardins is still incredible. But I think for me, this one didn't have the charm of the first one. In the first one, I legitimately really enjoyed the main character. I found him fun to watch. And him being an idiot was somehow lovable. Whereas I found in this mm. one, they were turning him into just a full-on jerk, which it didn't really vibe mm. as much. I still enjoyed mm. bits, you know, the Robin Hood costume, the crocodile, a lot of the elements we've talked about throughout this episode. But yeah, like Scott, I found the racism was like, not funny. And just mm-hmm. got really weird to the point where I was really questioning, like, how is this a 2009 movie? Um, and it just felt more grating in terms of the comedy. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, it, it was weird. It just felt like a sequel that almost didn't understand the charms of the first movie. Interesting. I'm wondering if, what you would have thought if you'd only seen this one and not seen both. Racism criticism would definitely still apply. <laughs> That's obviously yeah, the movie yeah. that would still be there. But I'm wondering about what you say about the charms of it. If you would be even more harsh or less, I don't know. I'm, I'm just, that would be an interesting thought. But obviously, we don't have time travel, so we can't just necessarily. Yeah, I would have very different expectations of the lead character, obviously, going in for mm. the first time with this movie versus watching mm. the first one first. All right, I'll, I'll go next. I will also give it a five out of ten. I thought it was enjoyable, but it didn't really kind of stand out. I think maybe I would have enjoyed it less or more if I hadn't seen the first one, so I don't really have anything to compare it to. It's closer to a six than a four. That's all about all I have to say about it. I would recommend it to people. It being in a foreign language made me feel cultured when I watched it. <laughs> so I'm going to rate it just a little bit higher. I'm going to go uh, 5.5. Like I'm almost on that six level because I really... Like, I really appreciated how in the 60s it all looked and felt. There's the fact that, you know, to the point where, yeah, my wife actually did think it was made in 1967. But yes, obviously, all of the racism and many of, and all the other problems, they tried to have it both ways. They were shine a light on it, but also make it the butt of the joke, too. And mm-hmm. it didn't work. So giving it, like, the overall feel, the sound, the music, costuming was all great. Like, I would have given this a lot higher if not for all those things. I know that if you're in for more of this style but with less of all of that, mm-hmm. there's a great uh, Netflix show called A Very Secret Service, or I forget what it's called in French because it's had a different French title, which is not a direct translation, which I thought that there were some of the same people involved, but I can't remember actually who. But it is set in the 60s, and it's uh, about uh, someone who's going entering the Secret Service there. And it's really, really good. And things like maybe your boss was a collaborator are not just brushed under the rug as a joke because it's, you know, have a lot more time with it. So I would say if you maybe were on the fence about this film, but are looking for something that gives you that 60s spy vibe and has the good world building and style, check that out. Uh, well, thank you all for joining us. Thank you to the Spy Hearts. Is there anything you guys would like to plug before we sign off? 
Uh, well, we're the Spy Hards podcast. We kind of have a movie podcast basically every Tuesday. Uh, we tackle the best and worst of spy cinema and basically to decipher if these films make the knock list. Uh, I'll let Cam describe the knock list for you. Yeah, the knock list is the need to see official classics of the Spy Hards canon. So basically what we're doing is trying to curate the ultimate list of spy films. And so every week we tackle a different movie and we talk about its merits Sometimes good movies don't make it on. So a lot of the conversation is, you know, uh, does this movie belong on the list and why not? And so, you know, there's been, I think, a little bit of controversy we've stoked with a couple exclusions and maybe some inclusions as well. So, yeah, check it out. Uh, It's generally, you know, just a film discussion, but there is that little quirk to it. Yeah, so you can find us everywhere, basically, at SpyHards, S-P-Y-H-A-R-D-S, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all the podcast apps, just search for SpyHards. And we certainly will be doing that. Thank you for joining us. And as for us, you can find us on social media at the SpyFi Guys under Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Until next time, I'm Zach. And I'm Christian. And we are the SpyFi Guys, signing off. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed our podcast, please be sure to rate and review us on iTunes. The theme music is by Jer Fitzgerald and Big Man Joe. Media reviewed by our podcast are the intellectual property of their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended. This is a personal podcast. Any views, statements, or opinions expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the participants. They do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the participants may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organization, company, or individual. You can find our podcast on social media at The Spy Five Guys on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.